This is the SEMS podcast, where we study how to find a fulfilling and impactful path for your career and your life. We help you grow as a person and keep you updated about everything going on in the world of SEMS. Hi, I'm Mattia from the Ivy Business School, and in this episode of the SEMS podcast, we will speak with Hannah Becker, a SEMS alumni and FinCrime professional. She is a senior anti-money laundering officer at Plio and founder of the Brain Fruits podcast. Today, we will discuss FinCrime, the psychology behind economics, and how to find your true interests. Thank you for joining us today, Hannah, and welcome to the podcast. So I guess just first off, um, just tell me a bit about yourself, uh, your SEMS experience, uh, your career and your career trajectory to date. Yeah. Hi, Mattia. It's super nice to meet you and to be in the SEMS podcast. Um, so I am Hannah Becker. I'm from Germany. I'm a SEMS alumni from Prague and from Ireland. I spend uh, six months in, in lovely Dublin at the UCD. Now, um, I work as a senior anti-money laundering officer at Pleo. Pleo is a fintech. Um, it's the expense solution for forward-thinking teams. And I also recently founded my own Brain Fruits um, podcast. I think that um, today we have certain things that we'll, we'll discuss, but yeah, let me start out with my, my SEMS experience. So, um, Originally, I did not think at all about pursuing a master um, together with SEMS. I started out very kind of quite quite boring, I must say, as a business law student in, in Germany. I always had this um, curiosity for different culture and human behavior. Um, I knew that I wanted to have an impact uh, with my career and help shape an economy of well-being. Um, I did not find this in my business law studies, so I was quite unhappy with that, I must say. Um, I lacked like the international aspect of it, and we were focusing, you know, mostly on German civil law, um, and that was not my type of ride. So eventually, I decided that I want to switch and that I wanted to have something that has much more international exposure, so that's what uh, I hope to get from the SEMS experience. So yeah, that's that's when I made up my decision to switch to an economics master. Um, I was hoping for more international exposure, focusing on understanding human behavior and um, decision-making. And that's partially what SEMS gave me, um, at least like the international exposure, a very challenging environment, I must say, and also the opportunity and courage to define my own, uh, my own career path Talk to me a bit about that, um, some of the difficulties in terms of the international exposure that you might may have experienced. Yeah, I mean, it's never easy, right? When you are quite like in your 20s and you start out to think about, oh, maybe I want to go and experience a different culture. And there's a lot of hype around, you know, a lot of people go to Australia or to the US and like finding, first of all, a culture where you think, oh, this is really interesting to me and it might not be what everyone else wants. So I went to the Czech Republic, right? Everyone else was like, well, you could also go to uh, France again, or you could go very far abroad, like you could go to Canada. But I thought um, I wanted to go somewhere where I would not usually probably live ever in my life. And so I said, no, I want to challenge myself. I want to go to, um, to the Czech Republic. And I think that's that's never easy to kind of like leave your own hometown, your own home country and 
go and study abroad, especially when you're still like in that age where you're also finding yourself a little bit. So it's, it's a great experience, but it's not the easiest. I can uh, certainly certainly relate to that um, based on what I'm going through with my uh, my exchange right now. It's it's well worth it. It's been super positive, but yeah, you kind of go through ups and downs. <laughs> yeah, totally. How many countries is it now for you? I mean, you're also jumping around quite a lot with with the Sims uh, because you're doing so much voluntary work. Yes. Um, so Ivy in Canada actually allows us to do two exchanges. So I'm currently at St. Gallen in Switzerland. Um, and then my next exchange is at the National University of Singapore. Uh, so those are the two experience, academic experiences that, um, that I will have. Uh, but with regards to student board, um, they also kind of have me jumping around a little bit for our meetings. So we were actually in Prague a couple of weeks ago. It was a great time. Every time I go back to Prague, I, I remember how much I love Prague. Um, and then uh, we're set to go to London in December. So that's all of the yeah. traveling that I'll be doing for, I guess, school re school related reasons. I'll do other stuff by myself. But um, but yeah, that's kind of what I've been up to, or what's what's ahead for me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So talk to me a bit about um, your current job. So I guess uh, within your son's experience, how did you get interested in finance? Because I know you mentioned that you transitioned from law um to to the to economics so specifically how'd you get interested in um finance specifically fin crime um if you could even give us a bit of an overview as to what fin crime is that, that would be great yeah totally and this is also an encouragement that um it's worthwhile to pursue what interests you like it can change from from time to time right you meet maybe some people that are like oh since i'm 15 i knew i wanted to become, I don't know, a UX designer or designer. I was always interested in design, design. That was definitely not the case for me. Like for me, it was quite difficult to find what really resonates with me, what really is so grasping my curiosity that I want to change, that I want to like um, stay with it for, for some time. And I think this is also true for a lot of people that I meet, I think, nowadays. So um, for me, becoming interested in finance was in the beginning because I really um thought that this might be something I'm not good at so I like I remember when I was in, in Dublin um I always had a little bit of this two-sided uh I don't know a little bit of a difficulty with um with knowing or being courageous enough that I'm actually quite good with with math and finance I always thought that I pretty much suck in in math and everything economics related um, but I, I kind of found out that that's absolutely not the case. So I, I was like, okay, I want to really, you know, try something that is out of my comfort zone. So I went uh, for a finance major and it was quite tough in the beginning, but it was also super interesting because, you know, finance and especially spending behavior is very connected to human behavior. It is quite related to, to psychology and it's of course also very quantitative. So it matched quite well my um, my interest. And I pulled that kind of together in my master's thesis. So I was super lucky to get a scholarship here in um, Copenhagen in Denmark to write my thesis on economics of well-being. So we did an analysis of how different levels of mental well-being impact government expenditure. So you know, um, how different levels of mental well-being impact how often you go to the doctor, how many sickness um, leaves you have, and how much sickness benefit transfers you will receive as an individual. So that was really interesting. I knew I wanted to kind of stay in, 
in uh, this this area and do something related to that. And fin crime sounds, of course, something actually very far off that, but it's not. So uh, maybe it's worthwhile to talk a little bit about what fin crime really is in a little bit. But uh, for me, I mean, initially, I you know, I was like, oh, I want to do a PhD in in economics um, with focus on on well-being and finance, and then of course COVID hit. So that was great fun because there was not many opportunities in academia at that time, and also not so much um, budget. So despite like you know having really great supervisors that tried to push me into that direction, um, I was like, all right, I just want to. For some time, get into the um, corporate world and try out if I can find something there that matches my my interest. So, I found a um, job opening very, I mean, nothing very, you know, super hyped um, in in fin crime in, in Danske Bank, and I thought, oh, this actually sounds really interesting. And this is how I started to become even more interested in, in financial crime. So it was not at all, you know, that I was sitting there already during my um, beginning of my master's and mapping out where I want to go with my career. It kind of developed over time. Cool. Um, so I have two questions kind of, um, I guess, firstly, if you could actually just tell me a bit about your thesis, like I'm really curious about that. It sounds yeah. super interesting, specifically, like how did you measure well-being? I imagine it was self-reported, for example. Mm. Um, and then with regards to I had another question about fin crime. We'll, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Well, let's, <laughs> first, let's first talk about uh, the thesis. If you could tell me a bit more about that, because that, it sounds super interesting. Yes. So that's uh, not so easy. So a lot of people, when they hear mental well-being, it's very interesting if you don't talk any further about it, they will uh, associate it with mental health immediately and often like the negative side of mental health. So they immediately think about depression, burnout, maybe even some more, um, you know, more, more worse things than just these common mental disorders, something like bipolar disorder. And actually mental well-being is quite, I don't want to say the opposite, but it's just a different scale. It measures much more on um, the audiomonic and the hedonistic well-being. So that's like quite two philosophical concepts that feed into it. Um, one of them is more focused on how much you enjoy your life. So this is really like the emotional part. And the other part is much more on how purposeful do you live your life? How much do you contribute to your society? Do you actually feel like you belong to a society, to a family? And what we did is we used a survey um, that was um, extrapolated and was representative for the Danish population. And we use the so-called Warwick Edinburgh Mental Wellbeing Scale, which is um, like a, it's a quite a good psychometric tool in the sense that it has been validated here in the Danish context. It has been validated across different um, across different countries, and in Denmark, it's amazing. I mean, you have the health registers here that are very they're very they're very structured data. Um, it's all centralized. So as a research institute, you can apply to get access to that data. And that's what we did. And then um, we looked, we just like distributed our um, our survey participants into low, medium, um, low, medium, and high um, mental well-being, and looked at how the spending is associated with these different groups. And it's very interesting to, there's also a paper published about this by now, but it's very interesting to see that um, quite intuitively people with low mental well-being, so people that are not thriving, that don't feel that they're belonging to society particularly, and that don't have a sense of, of purpose in, in their life, 
um, they expose the government to much more expenditure. So especially their visits to the general practitioners is much, much higher. Um, whereas like uh, if you have you know a population or people that are in this bucket of high mental well-being, um, we can see that governments spend much less on these people in terms of healthcare, healthcare expenditure. There's quite, so it's like our findings were that if you were to, you know, um, it's, it's basically to show that it is worthwhile to pursue public strategies to improve your population mental well-being, right? Because if you shift it, it's like a, it's like a curve. And if you shift that curve a little bit to the right side, where mental well-being is, is here, higher side, of course, your governmental expenditure will, will go down. And this is something that we showed with this paper. Cool, really cool. Um, super interesting topic. Uh, and it's certainly a topic of conversation, uh, at least I know where I'm from, uh, essentially just the argument that if you invest further in specifically mental well-being, that it'll actually allow for government savings down the line. Um, I know that your paper didn't look at this, but I am kind of curious just before we move on, what might be um, a public health initiative that could potentially address this? Because whenever I kind of think of these things, um, it's very complicated and complex because it's kind of like, is it our society, our culture, the way things work? Um, is it social media and how <laughs> that's, that's kind of causing this, right? So it's kind of like what came first um, and then what kind of a public policy could actually, I guess, really have a positive impact. Mind you, I, it might be at this point, anything could help, but yeah, I'm curious what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, this is not easy. I think it's that's also what a lot of researchers and um, practitioners are struggling with, because so far we didn't really have any tools or measure or like any tools to really see how effective are any type of interventions that you have, right? And um, there is there's a lot going on nowadays where it's very interesting that um, both psychology and the branch of economics are marrying a little bit more and they're trying to find what type of research methods they can borrow from one another. And of course, in psychology, you would have a lot of these randomized controlled trials to measure how effective, for example, a new drug is. And this is something that is now being tried to kind of convert over also to the um, public policy domain where they try to see, okay, how can you um, have participants uh, in a in an intervention um, and measure how their health outcomes are afterwards, how their governmental or how their, you know, it can be other things as well, but how different, how they respond to different outcomes. And of course, it's always difficult to find a control group. That's that's not super, super easy. So there's still like some, definitely some methodological uh, limitations to actually measure that. Um, however, there's quite some promising uh, research going on. Like, so for example, here in, in Scandinavia and Denmark, they have this program called Act Belong Commit, um, and they started to, you know, implement it in smaller settings. So in schools, in universities, and then hopefully also in the future in, in workplaces. And then you can actually see, okay, what happened um, with that intervention and without that intervention. Of course, you know, there's a lot of other factors that play into, into ground as well, but it's interesting to see that it's not only um, that mental well-being or the participants, you know, that are involved in such programs, um, that their outcomes changes in terms of healthcare expenditure, but 
and this is where the business world comes in, it's also good for the bottom line. Like we can see that people that are thriving are, or people that have higher mental well-being have high productivity. Um, it's, it's good for the bottom line. It's good for company culture. There's more innovation happening in, in such an environment. So there's a lot that's, that one can, can look at. It's just difficult to find a, a clean study on it, right? But I mean, research in this area is never really, really clean. So I think it's a lot about being very open and, and just trying out new things. So yeah, if you ask me about one particular example, um, I would definitely highlight the, the Act Belong Commit campaign that comes here from from Scandinavia that's a pretty pretty great one because they measure um, a lot of their outcomes in, in terms of the Warburg environmental well-being scale and they they do it really nicely <laughs> cool I'll certainly look into that one um, transitioning a little bit uh, you've mentioned a few times I remembered my question that I had earlier um, you've mentioned a few times the connection between uh, psychology and economics and even psychology and finance right the people's um, spending habits for example um, I'm guessing uh, or I'm guess I'm wondering if you could talk to me a bit more about that kind of connection and specifically what sparks your interest so when mm. did you realize this was something that you were very um, very interested in so um, and uh, yeah, and then we'll kind of get into thin crime and how that relates to the work that you're doing today. Totally, and I think the best thing here is to uh, to maybe boost the question back, and that would be like, when was the last time that you made a big purchase? In what mental setting were you? Can you like imagine or can you remember um, how how you felt, what it was about? So was it like a? I don't want to take too much, but maybe do just tell me what your last big purchase was and how you felt about it. <laughs> So my last big purchase was probably my flight here. <laughs> um, that was a big one. And I remember being a little frustrated because it was more expensive than I anticipated for a one way. Um, however, as soon as I booked it, I felt amazing. <laughs> I felt amazing. And then obviously, of course, even while I was, um, and you know what, I guess it's kind of a bad example because it wasn't exactly an impulse. It was more of this is a planned thing that I know I'm going to be purchasing. Um, I think maybe a better example might be like a couple spontaneous trips that I that I did. So I went to Croatia before um, I was in Switzerland and traveled around there a bit. Um, so th things such as that one um, or such as those rather would kind of be my last largest purchase. But I, I know what you mean, though. It's kind of um, anticipation, I guess, a little bit or maybe stress, depending on what the price is, the price tag. But it always ends up worth it later on. And even though I can recall that I was stressed, I can't say I regret the purchase in, in the slightest. <laughs> no, totally. But it's very interesting. I think one thing we can already see from this is like we all have a relationship with money, right? And our relationship with, with money tells a lot about ourselves. It's like some people are very stressed about how they how to deal with their, their finances, to make financial plannings. You have different personality types. And it also always shows in spending patterns, you know, like the more diligent, you will find that a lot of people are more diligent, more forward looking and that have a lot of foresight. Um, they are often the, the, the savers, right? But then the question is like, why are you saving so much? Is it really because it's, it's uh, absolutely necessary for later? Or is there actually some anxiety patterns below it? Is it like, maybe a little bit from family structure that they always had to make sure they will be fine later on, right? So I think there's a lot of, um, and there, I mean, there's plenty of research about that as well, but there's there's a lot of um, interesting connections between how we spend and how we save and our psychological state. 
and our psychological coding, what, you know, what type of person we really are at the core. And that I find quite, quite interesting. And this is also um, where maybe the area of financial crime comes in, but a lot of people will be like, how does that maybe connect? Well, how, how do criminals spend and make their money? Not in really good ways. It's probably if, if you were to run a survey, um, no, not a, a survey, but if you were to measure their psychological state, I would back it. You would find that a lot of them are quite narcissistic. Um, but that's that's how the connection kind of comes about for for financial crime prevention. I think this is a really interesting area because. If you like think about the biggest news you hear on, on maybe yesterday or the, the day before, we can see that there's uh, like big established banks uh, such as Denske Bank or like smaller hip new tech solutions such as the German N26. They they all struggle with with one thing and that is um, money laundering, terrorist financing. So really getting their compliance under control is not easy because a lot of people try to misuse the bank. Um, to pursue their own not so well motivated spending patterns. <laughs> okay, so all of that being said, um, I'm wondering if you could talk to me a bit about kind of what your day to day looks like. I mean, um, is it in terms of like I imagine a client will source you um, or source? Uh, I believe it's Plio or <laughs> the name of the organization that you work for. I imagine a client would reach out to maybe provide general oversight, or is it like specific? perhaps project-based. Um, I don't know how much you can tell me, obviously, but but if you could just share a little bit about what it actually looks like, like um, doing this and doing this kind of work and solving these kinds of challenges, because it is really cool. Yes. So, of course, um, there's a lot of things I cannot really talk so much about, but on like a general level, I think it's good to first look at what are we trying to do um, in, in Plio. So Plio, as I said, is a new uh, expense solution um, that focuses on a forward thinking team. So you can imagine it as a digital corporate payment card that people like employees particularly can use to make purchases for the company. And then automatically these expenses are um, taken, taken care of and there's no more paperwork going on for any employee that makes an expenditure for, uh, for it doesn't look um, the same any any day to be honest it is sometimes that I spend a lot of like some of my time with our KYC um, task force so these are the people you know they look into um, how how we onboard customers if we want to onboard them or not okay uh really cool um thank you so much for sharing I didn't really think about it in that in that manner but that's really interesting and it sounds like you wear a lot of hats right from from the finance issue, from the, the crime aspect, and then within that, the social issues that arise. Um, super interesting. So it sounds very inter like very interdisciplinary work. Um, in addition to all of this, you're also doing brain fruits. I know we don't have a lot of time left. Like we're not gonna, <laughs> I don't wanna steal the <laughs> any more of your day. Um, but I guess we could, because um, you also mentioned that there's also a technology aspect to what, the work that you're doing. And I know that brain fruits is centered a bit more around women in tech. So I guess if you could tell me a bit about what Brain Fruits is um, and then also where the need came from or why you decided to start it. Yes. So Brain Fruits is partially a typical um, COVID, I think, uh, production. I mean, I kind of thought about that. I want to do something at, at the side, start my own initiative that 
serves um, particularly women and to help them build better mental and financial well-being. Now, you know, when you start working in, in tech, you can see that there is a big shortage of, of women in, in tech. And there's a lot of females that does or that just drop out and that don't think it's it's a place for them because some cultures or some working environments can be very dominant like very male dominated it's not the easiest to be to be in it um so this is when i thought okay i really want to have an initiative um that that focused on on well-being that was my initial starting point and then i thought like okay what kind of um target group would i like to to go for and then i decided i want to go um for for women and what i do is i interview um, and ask questions um, to a lot of women around the globe that are in the tech sphere and that are solving a very big um, big problem that we have in the 21st century. Like one of my latest episodes, I spoke with um, Eleanor Samuels and she founded BrightDeck. That's a company that uses big tech and, and big data to solve, to help with uh, domestic violence. So they, um, that's, that's a great, you know, it's, it's a great purpose. It solves something in, in society and it is in the tech sphere. So these are always the three questions that I ask myself before I select my, my speakers. Is it, a, is it a speaker or is it a, a guest that is solving a big problem um, that is really relevant for the 21st century? Is it, um, is it a woman? And then the last one, is it, um, is it in the tech sphere? So talk to me a bit more because I have skimmed through the podcast a bit. Uh, and yes, I, I, I noticed that there is kind of a lot of um, social issues that are addressed, which I guess kind of, again, overlaps with even your work, right? That kind of specifically targets these things. Um, I'm wondering if you could tell me or share with me rather uh, any of the most amazing conversations you've ever had, things that you've learned that might have really changed your mind or really just really piqued your interest because uh, it, it really is a cool show. Yeah, no, I think what really strikes me is that, you know, this definition of success, like when I started out in my early 20s to like pursue, you know, you go to university and you think like, oh, you want to have an amazing career and or you just want to challenge yourself and you want to do something that's, that's relevant. Um, I think a lot of us, and this includes me, I was way too focused on like, you know, what, what the social standards are, like, oh, you should study law and you should buy a big house afterwards and you should, you know, work in a big law firm for the rest of your life in Germany. And honestly, this was nothing that I could really relate to. So this definition of success, I realized is very personal. For me, success means, this is also what I hear from a lot of my podcast guests, is much more having something that provides you um, with, with purpose, that's like dear to your heart dear to your energy and once you start following that energy and maybe also sometimes against what everyone else is saying you should do right or what everyone else is doing um then success comes by itself but it's it's success that is much more personal it's not about like winning awards or you know getting recognition it's much more about feeling aligned it's much more about feeling like wow purposeful this is something i see a lot also with my podcast guests like one of them said and I found that very inspirational is follow what gives you energy. This is where the magic happens. And especially in this crazy world where you have so many distractions, it is absolutely inevitable to tune in. So to become still, to meditate, to do yoga and to reflect on, you know, 
how was your day how how did you feel about certain activities and rather follow that than to always have everything mapped out and completely planned um that's something i really really learned and then really i mean amazing amazing things are possible if you pursue them and maybe one last thing is that you know it often looks from the outside like it looks so easy and i think it's good to remember that we all have big 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 challenges like personal there's things you know life sometimes hits you and tries to throw you over um it's how we see these challenges so it's a lot about your own mindset with a growth mindset you can take challenges and be like all right challenge thank you. Um, there's something for me to learn about this. It will make me better. Like I will learn something. It's an experience. And also with failure, you know, I failed my law exam back in law school and I was devastated back then. I was thinking I'm a complete failure. Nowadays I'm like, wow, it, I'm, this is one of the things I'm most grateful for because I learned so much. I learned so much about my own courage and pursuing much more what, what I want to do in life. So it's, it's a lot about taking challenges and turning them into a great solution. So it sounds like you've certainly taken a lot away from these conversations um, and even just from doing the podcast in general. Uh, I guess I understand that the podcast is to encourage women to pursue tech. Um, in addition to these things that we've just discussed or that you've just mentioned, I'm wondering if there's anything else that you hope that listeners take away from the show um, is it just that they can, you know, they can be involved in tech, but not be in some sort, not working for Google, for example. So there, there are, <laughs> you know what I mean? A large, a large firm, right? Rather they can address social issues through technology. Yeah. So there, there is a space for, uh, people interested in impact, uh, within tech. So yeah, talk to me a bit about that. Yeah. So, I mean, of course I, I say that I'm focusing on tech However, I think like one of the main takeaways that kind of crystallizes from this is that it's a lot about reminding ourselves that we're also human in a very technological environment. And we're, we're learning how to deal with tech and tech is just being learned how to deal with us. So it's good to remember that, you know, if it's not for you, that is totally fine. Like, I think no one should go into tech or start working more with data if it's not for them. It's much more important to like feel, have a life that means something to you and to your family and to maybe the wider society. I think that for me is a purposeful life. Cool. No, it sounds like a, like a great message. Um, the episodes certainly do illustrate that they're all kind of mind blowing a little bit, the few that I've listened to anyways. Um, so yeah, thank you so much for this. Uh, I don't want to steal any more of your time, but um, thank you so much for joining, chatting to us a bit about uh, fin crime, uh, even your master's thesis, and then also brain fruits. Thank you so much, Matia, for having me. It's been great. Keep on doing this. This is great, great, uh, great fruits, I think, for, for the Semsies. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much for listening to The Sems Podcast. If this episode was useful to you, please rate us, review us, and share what you have learned with your fellow Semsies. Have a sensational week. 